Hey, Hamptons to Hollywood family. Welcome back to the Hamptons to Hollywood podcast. I'm your father, Kyle Langan, and I'm really excited to be here today and do this episode. It's a special episode because it is almost officially, I think in, on November 5th, uh, it is Hamptons to Hollywood's 12th, 12th, <laughs> it is Hamptons to Hollywood, oh, it is Hamptons to Hollywood's 12th birthday, which means that I started the website 12 years ago. I moved from the Hamptons to Los Angeles 12 years ago. I've been here for 12 years and it is like insane to think about that because so much has happened. I've like, I mean, so much could happen in 12 years. I've really like developed as a person. I have learned so much, so I kind of wanted to do an episode today where I'm looking back at 12 things I've learned over the past 12 years. And when I sat down to like think about what these 12 things would be, I really, I had a hard time doing it because, you know, looking back 12 years of your life, I think now I should have thought about like what I learned in year one, what I learned in year two. I didn't do that. But like looking back on 12 years of your life, that's such an incredible amount of time. And I mean, most of my adult life has been in LA, which is funny because I just think of myself as such an East Coast person at my core. And, um, but you know, I moved here when I was 23 years old. And and so my whole adult life has really been in Los Angeles up until this point. And so I really, it's how I, like when I came into my own and lots of stuff. So I wanted to share 12 things I've learned in 12 years. And if you're thinking about moving, if you're thinking about, if you're kind of just in a place where you are, I, I feel like the end of the year is always a place where we're kind of, um, looking back on definitely the past year, but also just time in general. So I felt like this was a good time to uh, to do this. And also, I can't believe it's November. All right, but let's get into it. Okay, so the first thing I've learned, I have some notes over here. So if I like, I'm looking over on the side of my, uh, on the side, if you're watching this on YouTube, um, that's why. But the first thing I wanted to start by saying was, I mean, the first thing I learned, number one on the list, is that I'm gay, which is sounds funny because it is, but I think one of the things that I, that is definitely something I found out about myself and came to terms with when I moved to LA. And when I think about it, I mean, it was the first time that I was ever, when I moved here 12 years ago, it was the first time I had ever been in a relationship with a guy. And that first relationship was like such a learning curve for me because, you know, and I can do a whole other podcast on relationships, but, but I just, I learned about, I learned, you know, who I was. I think there were thoughts obviously preceding moving to LA that I had questions. I was like, you know, questioning myself and, and, and my sexuality, but when I moved to let to LA is when it really came into focus and and I started to I think you know act on an attraction that I had or you know go on a date with a guy or you know whatever hang out with dudes more and and I think subconsciously one of the reasons that I did move here maybe was because I felt scared or, you know, hesitant to come out in my hometown or in a place that I, where everything around me was so familiar. And I think probably subconsciously moving away made it easier to, to come out because I could kind of reinvent myself, rebrand, if you will, and into this whole other, or a different version of myself. And 
I think, you know, moving out here just made it easier to, to accept and really just like take a minute away from everything that I knew, all the people who might influence me or who I was scared to tell and really just like take time for myself and just be like, no, this is like who I am, you know? And so, and so I came out in LA and, um, and that was that, I mean, that's obviously impacted a lot of my time here, you know, the, the, the romantic chapter of my, of my life, um, which I'll talk about more, but, but yeah, like, I think that that, but I think, um, and LA is where I really came to terms with that part of myself and, and explored it. And, um, and, you know, and I love sharing about it too. I mean, I, I had a, a column on Hamptons to Hollywood called the Kyle Chronicles, where it's all about dating. Um, I wrote, I wrote an, a piece in the LA times on, on gay dating. I did, uh, I've written for all kinds of, um, magazines and newspapers and websites on, on being gay and gay relationships. So, uh, so I feel, you know, I think proud of it and proud of being, um, of having this be the, kind of the place where it all happened. But yeah, it's funny to think like, you know, like if I hadn't moved to LA, where would I be? I don't think I would have not come out, but I, you know, I, 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 I wonder where in my journey kind of I would be and when, you know, if it would have happened a little bit later, um, it's all kind of funny to think about, but I think it was all just, you know, supposed to happen this way. And, and it really, it was something that I think I was like sublimating for a long time. And I just, you know, finally felt the freedom to do it. And I think that's the thing is like, you know, when you, sometimes you have to go away to get perspective on who you are and, um, or, or what you want out of life and to kind of come into your own. And, and I think that that can really be, be beautiful. So I'm gay. <laughs> um, okay. The second thing I learned from being in LA for 12 years is that it's okay to outgrow people and things. And this is kind of what I talked about in like the past two podcast episodes that I've done where we talked to Dana Skaggs, um, on setting boundaries. And when I, and I recorded a solo episode on growing pains and I think it's okay. You know, I think I always liken it to like that first week when you go to college, you know, and you maybe you're put in to like a little group, like the college puts like the, all the freshmen like together in these little groups. So you kind of like have like some people to talk to, but you kind of just like attach to people really quickly. And then by the end of the week, you kind of have found your real friends and you're kind of like, all right, see you later to these, like these kind of temporary people that you hung out with just because you needed people to talk to. And, and so you didn't feel isolated and alone in this completely new, uh, you know, part of life. So I think when you outgrow people and friends, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like you're, you're just, you're shedding what you really don't, the people you don't really need or who, who no longer serve you. And you're kind of moving into a different, you know, iteration of your life. And it, and it's okay. It's okay to outgrow people because, you know, unfortunately, I think there's people in our life that are there for, you know, what is it like a season? It's like some people are there for like seasons of our life. And that's definitely happened to me. You know, I think, I mean, I've, I've lived in a few different places since I've moved to, to LA. I lived in Glendale. I lived in Long Beach. I lived in Marina Del Rey. I lived in West Hollywood. And so, and there's been certain people in those pockets of places that I don't, that are no longer kind of part of my life. They were there for a season. And I think, um, it doesn't mean I don't like them or wouldn't feel, you know, excited to see them again, but yeah, it's just, it's okay to outgrow, to outgrow people. You know, I think it's part of life. I think it's part of growing up and getting older and, 
And I think that life is about shifts and it's not about permanence. You know what I mean? I think like, even if you have a friend or a partner who you're with for a long period of time, you know, you evolve in those relationships too. You know, it's not like, and some people just don't make those evolutions with you. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Um, and, oh uh, no, I can't believe there's gonna be space. Okay. But yeah, it's okay to outgrow people, I guess is the moral of the story. It's okay to outgrow people. And I've learned that there's a, there's a quote in my favorite book and movie, Eat, Pray, Love, where like Liz Gilbert, the author says that nothing lasts forever, you know, not like nothing. And to kind of be mindful of that, like nothing lasts forever. Like your life doesn't last forever. The good things in your life don't last forever. The bad things in your life don't last forever. Nothing is last forever. So we can't get too attached to any of it, you know? And I think having that kind of understanding allows me to look at, you know, the people that kind of have moved into different directions of my life and be grateful for, um, you know, the time I had with them, the time we had together and prime myself for the next thing and the next, you know, relationships of, or, you know, you know, not just romantic, like friendships and, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna sit down. No, I'm not, okay. Um, so that's been really interesting. <laughs> but, uh, but I, and there are people who I think, and I'm not talking about people like like coming in and out of your life because there's people that are, you know, that move through my life in one way or another. Like you don't see them as much anymore. And I'm not talking about those kind of people. I'm talking about the ones you really outgrow. Like the ones where you, like there was a period of my life when I was, in, you know, 26, 27, 28. And I was going out like a lot. Like I was going out. I was partying a lot. It was like a t it was like a chapter of my life. And there were people around me at that time that I thought were like, oh my God, like groomsmen in my wedding. Like this is gonna be like a ride or die person. And I don't talk to, you know, this one person in particular anymore. And I don't like ever feel the need to talk to them. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you know, we can see each other and it's like cordial and fine, but but it's not like, um, but they're not someone that I like miss on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, hold on. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's okay. And I think it's interesting to see, you know, what happens to people that you no longer, that no longer serve you. I don't know, this one's kind of dumb. So yeah, the second thing I've learned is that it's okay to outgrow people and don't feel bad about it, you know, own it. Like own your own self-development and your own, and your own growth, because that's good. You know, it's good when you are, I think that life is about, I'm saying evolve and evolution a lot in this podcast episode, but it's all about evolving and, and becoming like, the best self that you can be. If we only live once, we have to make life like the best that we can. So I think lean into that and don't worry so much as to 
who is coming with you on the ride or not, because the ones who will be there at the end are the ones that are going to grow with you and not, and you won't outgrow. The third thing that I've learned from being in LA for 12 years is how to build a business. This one is, so some of these are like work related. Some of these are interpersonal, like things that we're going to go over. But I learned that I learned how to build a business. Like I remember when I was, I, so my parents are very entrepreneurial. So I watched my, and I watched that from a young age. My mom started her own business when I was 12. My dad um, has always been so involved in, like he's like making hot sauce and he's developing, like building like skateboards. And at one point he wanted to become a pilot, I remember, and, and he was starting a clothing company with his best friend. So like he's always been a, a very entrepreneurial person as well. And I think from a young age, um, having, watching my dad's um, mind work in that way, in that entrepreneurial way, and also seeing my mom kind of execute, you know, starting her own business and growing it and, and making pivots. And uh, that was really fascinating to me. And I don't think I knew how much it impacted me until I thought about starting my own business. And I was like, well, I don't really want a boss. You know, I am the boss. I can, I should be working for myself. Um, <laughs> it's a great boss and a great employee. And so I thought, you know, this is, this is a cool idea. And I remember my mom told me once, she was like, I think that you're going to start a social media business. And I don't know if she was, now that she's an employee of mine, I think she might have just been saying this for job security reasons. But I think now, I, you know, I think it was, she saw something in me. I think she saw that entrepreneurial spirit that I inherited from her and my dad. I think that she knew that I could do it. And I think she saw a skill that I could monetize. And so I started KJL Media, which is um, now it's it's a media company and it has different parts. I'm not only, I don't know if I've even talked about this on the podcast before, but I'll explain the business. Um, KJL Media is a media company. So there's three divisions of it. There's a social media consulting and management division. So I work with and I have a small team. We work with um, with brands and public figures at managing um, social media content and creating content for them um, and and producing it and, and managing all social media activity. Um, I also do like social media coaching and consulting. So if you need help with social media, reach out to me and let me know. Um, the second part of the business is um, is Hamptons to Hollywood. So this part. So it's, uh, and everything we do on Hamptons to Hollywood, everything we produce, the podcast, videos, um, written content, social media, um, working with brand and partnerships. Um, so that So that's another part of the business, Hamptons to Hollywood. And the third part of the business is the publishing piece, which as you know, I'm an author and, um, and we've published uh, three books under KJL Media. Um, my first book was published by a, by a, by a publisher. Um, and then when I regained the rights to it, I republished it under KJL Media. So we have a, we have a, a publishing branch as well. So, and I learned how to, you know, build out those three branches. I learned how to work with, with clients and people. And I think every job that I've had up until starting KGL Media, prepared me for it. You know, I, I worked with, you know, on the marketing side, I worked as, as a writer, um, I worked as a host and, and a moderator. I worked as, you know, a swim instructor when I was in college and just dealing with parents. And, and that translates now into dealing with clients who maybe want something that's unrealistic or kind of like that client management piece, like the customer service side, like everything is kind of um, led up to what I'm doing now. And I think it's really important for people to, or it was really important for me, I think, to have jobs in these different kind of categories in, in restaurants and in you know, hospitality, because it really teaches you valuable lessons that you can take into your own 
into life, but into also your your job if you create something for yourself. So, so I learned how to build a business, and I think I've learned how to become a, a good boss. Um, you know, I think I'm a pretty good boss. I think I'm pretty nice, but also I have high expectations. And I think if you can balance those two things, like being cool, but also like want, but demanding like a product or a certain level of work, I think that that is like the perfect balance to strike. That's something I still want to aspire to, you know, be better at. Um, but I learned, but I can like successfully and safely say that I learned how to build a business when I was in LA, because this is where KJL Media launched. It's when the Hamptons of Hollywood started. And I was able to monetize that. I mean, just speaking on Hamptons to Hollywood's piece of it, I started Hamptons to Hollywood as a blog, like as a personal online journal, and was able to, with the advent of social media, start to monetize it and work with partners and, you know, and, you know, work with BMW. And they gave me a car to drive around for the weekend in the Hamptons so I could put it posted on, on the site. And, like just starting from like with little partnerships like that um was you know was was part of how it all started so yeah i think um i learned how to become a business person and and i think it's cool how that i've been able to turn passion of mine into a business like that's kind of one of my favorite things that I'm the most proud of because um it's easy to I think just like having a balance like I was talking to a friend last night and he's and he was like saying like oh you know I'm really good at you know um I don't know math so it's like oh yeah I could be I could go work at a bank like I I'm good with numbers but uh, but that might not be the passion that you like. Who wants to go work in a bank? Like that's not like the passion. Do you know what I mean? Maybe the passion is like sewing. <laughs> I don't know. So you start. So you decide to start a a clothing line, and then you kind of take that math knowledge that you have and use it on like how to balance like and then build a business like and balance the books and work about like a PL and all this kind of stuff so i just think it's really i'm proud that i've been able to create a business that i enjoy but that i also am good at doing <laughs> um so yeah that's the third thing i learned was how to start a business and i feel like i could do it again you know if Hamptons or if Hamptons to Hollywood sells or if KJL Media sells, I would know what to do to start another business if I didn't retire from all the from the windfall of cash that I would be given. <laughs> um, so the fourth thing I've learned from being in LA is for twelve years is. I learned how to fall in love. And I know that sounds a little corny and maybe a little cheesy, but that really is the truth. And that's so much, that's such a big part of my life is like my optimism and my heart and my romantic side. Like, I think that that's a big part of who I am. And, you know, I think, um, one of my one of, a very significant relationship in my life happened here um that you can read all about on the Kyle Chronicles and and it and it's inspired me to like to write a lot of things it's inspired me um it's obviously that relationship like did not work out but and and it's taught me so much do you know what i mean i think falling in love teaches you so much about yourself um, teaches you so much about other people and what you do and do not want. Um, it, uh, uh, yeah, I really, I love love. I'm a huge, sappy, hopeless romantic. I love it. I love love stories. I love the connection between two people. I think that I'm someone who's really unafraid of intimacy and establishing connection and um and 
and like going there, like I like going there. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not a person who like engaging in like casual sex, like isn't as fulfilling to me as like, as like having sex with someone that you really like and like care about. And I think that that is, I think a lot of people are afraid of, of intimacy. And I think we're living in a society where hookup culture is becoming, you know, more prevalent and that's fine. And I think it's great to be sex positive. I just think that being sex positive shouldn't also mean a degradation of intimacy. And so I, I really am, am proud of how I love and how I show love to people and, and, and my optimism surrounding falling in love because I've allowed myself to do it. And yeah, it like fucking sucks when things don't work out the way you hope. But I think the, the, there's so much value in having loved, you know, and having let yourself go there and feel. And it's like, what is it? Like in Steel Magnolias, she says, I'd rather have 20 minutes of wonderful than a lifetime of nothing special. That's so true. You know what I mean? Because there's so much value in, in having the 20 minutes. And I think you, I can look back on my life and, and those and those relationships and be really happy they happened even if um even if some are like more raw than others or you miss pieces of the person um you know after you after things end but i but i really learned um like i didn't have many significant romantic relationships when i before moving to california I mean, again, I was pretty young, I was 23. So this was the place where I really like opened my heart to, to love and to relationships. And um, I'm really happy. I think it's one of the things that I wear as a badge of honor is, is my openness to, to giving and receiving love. And my, and my, again, my optimism surrounding it because I think it's easy to become a little disenchanted when, you know, dating apps are annoying and, you know, again, like things don't sometimes work out like you like, but I'm happy that I, and maybe it's delusionally so, that I remain optimistic for, and I'm not, I don't know if there's like a, a the one, like a, a, a great love of, um, that everyone's supposed to have. I think people get into loving relationships for, you know, five years, 10 years, 50 years, one year, do you know what I mean? Can be significant. And so I think I'm just always, you know, when I'm single, open to like finding that, that next love and, and I'm really happy and in love while I'm in it. Do you know what I mean? And that, um, and I've learned how to, how to do that through kind of like the four maybe significant relationships I've had, um, being in LA. So yeah, I'm just a big sap basically. Um, the fifth thing I've learned since moving to LA 12 years ago was how to speak up for myself. And I think it's in a few things. I think in work and in relationships. Um, I think for in work, I remember specifically, I was working at a organization where I was a moderator for live events that we would have. And I did some, you know, some content production. And it was a nonprofit organization. And I was not getting paid as much as I wanted to get paid. And I really did a lot of research and I looked up kind of like what the national average and the state averages were for someone with my level of experience and, and uh, an organization that was about the same size and what that salary level was. And I took it to my boss at the time and I said, here's the numbers, 
here's what I think that I'm worth and what I should be getting paid. Um, and I would say it was about $12,000 more than what I was making annually. 12000 which isn't, I mean, it's significant, but it's not like $40,000 more. You know what I mean? It's not like it, like, but so I did that. And then the, the boss at the time said, that's not in the budget and go back to your office. <laughs> and, and I, and then the boss came back to me maybe like 20 minutes later and said, I reworked some things and I will meet you halfway with what you had proposed and and this is the plan that will be on for getting you a hundred percent of what you asked for over the next, you know, period of time, a year or something, or I don't know, a couple years. And I was like, okay, like this is cool. And I'm so amped that I did that because or I was so stoked that I did it because I it's, it was so nerve-wracking to speak up for yourself and to advocate for your worth because I know how much I'm worth. Do you know what I mean? I feel like a certain value and I think we all feel a certain value as to what we provide to a boss or a relationship or, you know, anything that we're contributing to. And if your salary needs or, or what you're getting back out of that dynamic isn't reflective of what you think you should be getting back, it's really important to stick up for yourself and really important to advocate and just and be your best advocate and say like, hey, like, this is not okay. Like, I need more, you know? And, and I think that the outcome of that is usually, is always a gift because whether you get that raise, like I got like half of what I asked for and then we were, and then I think by the end of the time I left, I got, I was getting fully what I asked for. Or if someone says no to you, it's a gift because then it allows you to pivot and find a new direction of, of where you want to go. I always say that I would always rather know, and this applies to anything, I would always rather know the truth, like the true answer of what's happening because then once I have that, I can decide for myself what I want to do. If I, if the promotion is denied to me, okay, maybe I'm going to go apply at another company or start my own business. If I'm in a relationship and I say, you know, did you cheat on me? And they say, yes. I'm like, okay, I can decide whether I want to stay in this relationship and work on it or leave. But if I'm lied to, uh, or things aren't are more amorphous or unclear, then I have I spiral and I go into like a tailspin because you start second guessing yourself and you're like, and you get paranoid. Like, wait, wait, did they cheat on me? Or wait, what, what do you mean you'll give me five percent of my raise in a year if I hit this, this? It's like, is this happening or not? Do you know what I mean? So I think, and I think in relationships, speaking up for yourself is really important too. I think it's important to ask for what you want. I think it's it's important to, and not in a, it's not a selfish way. I think when you really, let's say you're having a problem with um, your partner, and the problem is like you're not having enough sex, for example, and you come from a real place of integrity, and say to this person like, hey, like. I really would like to have sex three times a week with you because it makes me feel closer to you. It makes me feel more intimate. I feel like we're like bonding in a deeper way, no pun intended. And that is why, I, I mean, that's why it's not because I'm just like horny. Do you know what I mean? Like it's really coming from like, a, from a place of, of, of truth and like honesty and like wanting to improve the, the quality of the relationship. And I think if, you know, I think it always has to come from like something where, where you, like a good place. It's not just like, I want more money from, from the job because I'm greedy or if I want to have sex more just because I'm horny. You know what I mean? Like there's always a compromise, but I think it's always just good to, when you, 
are advocating for what you want, make it come from the place of, of truth and, and, and honesty f for yourself. Because then it's easier to, it's easier to ask for it because you're kind of like fueled by your, your passion more, or you, do you know what I'm saying? Does this make sense? I don't know. <laughs> but I think just speaking of, even, even it's like, oh yeah, like, if you're dating someone, like, I have been making all the plans for the dates for the past three weeks. Like, do you want to suggest somewhere to go eat? <laughs> like, you know, like it's, uh, like, I feel like I'm doing a lot of the work. Like, where are we? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you, are you not into this? Are you feeling, you know, like, what's the deal? Like, why am I doing all the heavy lifting? I think it's really important to advocate for yourself. And I've learned to do that since I've been here. I learned to do it in relationships, you know, where I'm like, hey, like, yeah. It kind of goes into my next thing, which is how to have hard conversations. This is number six. And I think advocating for yourself often, often is a hard conversation to have. But in relationships, particularly, is when it's like, hey, like, you know, I want more. Do you know what I mean? Or I don't want to be with you anymore. I really have learned to love having hard conversations because it's, it's just that thing that I was just talking about where it's like, having a hard conversation is like the best because afterward, you, know, you have a better idea of what is going to be best for you you have a better idea of where you want to go. And if this person um, that I'm having a hard conversation with is going to be a part of where I go, I've had, you know, like fights with friends or disagreements with friends. And I love talking about why we're fighting because I'm like, well, let's get to the bottom of this because if I'm doing something wrong, I want to take accountability for it. And I want to make sure that I don't do it again where you feel like your character's being impugned or I'm like overstepping or like we need to figure it out. Like we need to communicate. Communicate. I learned to become a great communicator if I do say so myself. And I think, I don't think hard conversations always have to be scary. I think, again, if it's coming from a place of truth and honesty for you and you care, because I think... I think the, the the issue with hard conversations is that is that it's they're they're easy to avoid it's easier to avoid having them but I think when you avoid having a hard conversation it deleteriously affects the dynamic of what of what you're of the situation you're in so I just really think that um they're good. I don't think they have to be hard. I think, I think if you go into a conversation like, okay, I need to go tell this person that like, I'm really mad at the way that they didn't come to my birthday or something, you know? And it's like, Hey, like, I just want to let you know, like, I, I hope this is, isn't, and this is a perfect script. I feel <laughs> maybe not, <laughs> but just kind of like, Hey, like, I hope this doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, but I just have to tell you that I, my feelings were really hurt when you didn't come to my birthday and I just really wanted you to be there and I hope it doesn't, um, and it makes me scared to feel like maybe we're drifting apart. I think the secret to having hard conversations is, is leaning into your vulnerability because it's really hard to be pissed off at that. When you come to someone and say like, hey, like the birthday situation or hey, like, I really like love you as, you know, if, if a partner, someone you're dating and it's like, I want, m you know, more, who's going to be mad at that? Like, cause, cause you're basically giving them a compliment. So, <laughs> because you do. And, and, and again, it's coming from truth. You're, you're saying like, I want this because I care about you. It's really hard for someone to, when they're confronted with that kind of, with the gravity of that to be pissed. Like, I don't think hard conversations, they're not arguments. They're just conversations where you're just showing your vulnerability. And I think we need to get better at showing our vulnerability. And I remember when I was in, in an acting class, when I first moved to LA 
and we were reading, I don't know, some, some, it was like a CSI script or something like a police procedural show. And I read the scene by all accounts, I nailed it. <laughs> and I, no, I, th I thought I did good. And then the, the, the professor or the acting coach came up to me after and kind of like in front of the class, which was like <laughs> getting criticism leveled at you. And he was like, you are so vulnerable. And I was like, oh fuck, like that's not good. And he was like, no, it's amazing. He was like, cause I always thought vulnerability was a weakness. And I think a lot of people think that, but I think vulnerability needs a rebrand. Vulnerability is so, so strong. Vulnerability is strength. And when you can lean into that, to your vulnerability, to show like the deepest parts of yourself, it first of all, it makes everyone relate to you. And I think it, it's, it's really brave to do that. And so it really is a strength. And I, it was the first thing that I, when I got that note, that I really thought about it as, as a superpower. And I think I really leaned into, into using vulnerability um, to express myself. And I think like by and large, it's kind of like, the secret key to everything. If you're just vulnerable and you just say how you feel, it's really hard for people to, to to negate it. And if they do, then they're assholes. Do you know what I mean? Because someone who's worth your time is never going to make you feel bad for being vulnerable. And if they do, they're just not worth your time. So when you're having, I think having hard conversations is key. And I think the secret to them is just being vulnerable. Um, the seventh thing I've learned from living in LA for 12 years is how to rely on myself. I think that for a long time, this is a funny story, when I moved to college, I did not know how to pump my own gas. And that was something I was ridiculed for constantly because I'm from New Jersey and we don't pump our gas in New Jersey. It's actually like the biggest gift of all time when I go home to visit my family. Cause like you just sit there and they do it for you. It's incredible. But I, but I never did it. Like I learned to drive in New Jersey. I never learned how to pump gas. <sighs> and, uh, and I quickly had to learn. Do you know what I mean? And so I think like I've, I've, I've gotten better at taking care of myself. I don't know. I just feel like this is another example. When I moved to LA, I had saved up a bunch of money from working in the Hamptons and I moved here and I was still kind of living like a Hamptons lifestyle when I moved to LA and I kind of burned through my money a little bit faster than I should have. And, but it was kind of the perfect gift because I, after about, I would say after like three or four months, I was like down, I was like eating like, you know, McDonald's dollar menu for like two meals a day. Like I was like, I was roughing it. And I was like, I, no one's gonna bail me out of this situation. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't move home and I could go back, but I would feel like I'm, I couldn't do it with a clear conscience having known that I tried everything. I need to make sure I try every last thing before I leave so I don't, so I just, I did it. Do you know what I mean? So I like, I did everything I could have. And I think it really rewired my brain, my my not knowing how to gas, how to get gas brain from high school into like, I have to do everything for myself. And, and it was really empowering, you know, because I, you know, just went through so much weird shit. Like my first apartment I lived in, I had three other roommates. I like shared a room with someone, yeah. Not very uh, Hamptons to Hollywood-esque, but I swear that's the truth. Um, but yeah, it, it was just, uh, I learned that I have to create, you know, if I can't get, can't get a job, I have to create the job that I want. I learned that, you know, if my parents are going to give me money, then I really have to make my own money or figure out a way to, to procure funds in some way. When I first moved here again, 
I had three jobs. Well, first of all, I had zero jobs because I could not, no one would hire me as a server, which is mind boggling because I thought I was a great server. Even though like one time I spilled diet soda on like two girls down two girls back. But anyway, I worked at a restaurant, lunch shift. I then worked at, um, I was a private tutor. For, so I worked the lunch shift at the mall in Glendale. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I worked the lunch shift at a restaurant in Glendale. Then from like, you know, 11 to three, then from four to six, I would go, or four to five thirty, I was a private tutor for a family in Pasadena. And then from like six to midnight or six to 11, I was, I worked at Abercrombie. And those were humbling days, but I really like was able to working those three jobs, pull myself out of kind of my impoverished state and, uh, and get back to, you know, get myself back on track for like my next thing. And, and I did it myself, you know? And so I think going through those things, like having to work all those jobs, which I had never had to do before, um, really uh, allowed me to realize that I can, I only, I have to rely on myself only to get what I want out of life. Um, and the eighth thing I've learned from being in LA is how to follow my dreams, which again, sounds like a corny one. But it's kind of, I guess it kind of piggybacks off of what I just said. I mean, like, I moved here for a reason. I moved here to pursue a career in, in entertainment in some way. I thought it'd be great um, if you missed my, my first starring role in the first movie I ever did, by the way. Um, Underta the Undertaker's Son. It's a fantastic performance in a terrible movie. But I... But I was like, if I could, you know, act, that would be great. If I could, I went to school for journalism. So if I kind of, my dream moving out here was kind of like to become like the next Ryan Seacrest. How am I doing? <laughs> um, and now, and, you know, I, I worked for, you know, like luxury real estate agencies that are on TV now. And so I, I've had, I've been kind of like entertainment adjacent for, for a number of years. And um, I feel like I have some kind of like skin in the game in that realm um, because I've, you know, done my books and I've gotten to cover, you know, Hollywood events and all this kind of stuff. So, um, but if I had gone home when I ran out of money, when I, you know, four months after being here, I wouldn't have followed, been following my dream. You know, and so I just think it's having a dream is so important because it's kind of like setting your sights on a bullseye, like maybe years down the road, but it's, and then you kind of just like anything else that kind of comes into your periphery, it kind of doesn't matter because you're, you're so dead set on that bullseye in the distance. And I think that that's a, I think like aspiring for something is really healthy. I think ambition is really healthy. I think if you to, I know ambition kind of gets a bad reputation, but I think like, yeah, if you're like, you know, sacrificing everything to like climb the ladder and like you're fucking up your relationships, like that's not good ambition. But if you have a, a good relationship with ambition, I think it's really, really powerful and helpful and healthy and can propel you in the ways that you want to go. And I feel like that that's me, you know, I, I definitely am very ambitious and I have dreams that I want to accomplish. And, um, and I'm proud of those dreams and I'm proud with what I've done so far. And, uh, and so I think being here in the place where dreams are made, you know what I mean? In Hollywood, um, still having those dreams and still chasing them in a healthy way, I think I've learned, I've learned how to balance it. I've learned how to like chase my dreams and aspire for the things that I want. Um, and without having it like overtake my life, you know? And I think about moving back to the East Coast at times. I'm like, I don't think I'm ready yet. I think there's, there's still more things that I wanna accomplish and achieve. So I'm still chasing my dreams. The ninth thing I've learned, and my mom, I called my mom 
when I was doing this podcast episode for ideas because I was like, what, what have I learned, mom? And she was like, I think you've learned how to not take no for an answer. And I think that kind of, again, goes along with chasing your dreams, but I think like, and only relying on yourself. But I think it's kind of like, you know, being just being really persistent. I've learned to be very persistent. And I think through persistence, you can kind of get anything you want out of life. Do you know what I mean? I feel like my face looks very red in this video, but it's fine. Um, but it's not. <laughs> if you're concerned. So I'm watching this on YouTube. Um, persistence, I think, is just, I think it's one of those things like vulnerability that really is kind of like a, a secret if you, or like a, like a really powerful weapon if you can wield it. You know, like just, just being, just, just doing it over and over again. You know what I mean? Whether it's in, and I think, and I think that no matter what you're persistent about, whether it's a job or a person that you want in your life, you can kind of, if you really, again, believe it, and it's coming from the, the core of your truth, I think if you really believe that it would, it would be beneficial to both parties for you to get whatever you're being persistent about, it'll kind of happen, and it, but it might not happen exactly the way you thought. You know, like you might not, if you want a person to be in your life and you really want to date them, you might end up becoming friends with them. But at the end of the day, they're in your life. Do you know what I mean? And, or if you really want a job and you think you really want to be the director of communications, but you're actually the, you would be a better, you know, COO the company will see that and, and like the universe will kind of align to give you to kind of satisfy your ambition and your and your aspiration but in the in the in a way that's going to make both parties happy which you might not have thought about but it kind of always works out for the best i remember my mom gave me this example of when i was uh i really wanted to be mr golden globe in 2013, I think, or 2012, which means, and they don't even have it anymore, but Mr. Golden Globe was someone who, like, escorts the winner of the Golden Globes off stage after they accept the statue. You're basically like a glorified, like, beauty pageant. You just, like, stand there and, like, look adorable. And I was like, that is the job for me. <laughs> so I thought it'd be so cool, but they usually only give it to a celebrity's child. So it's like a very nepotism um, centered job to get. And I was like, that sounds like amazing. So that, so I wrote, a, a, I did a, a petition on change.org. <laughs> did, I did a photo shoot with golden like globes. I, and I sent it to the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, and I was like, I need to be Mr. Golden Globe. Let's change the narrative about why celebrities' kids are not the only ones that, that get this distinction. Like, crazy. Like, fully, who do I think I was? And then, I would, they did not respond <laughs> to, to, my, uh, to my pleas. So I ended up just trying to sneak into the Golden Globes, and I got pretty close. I got, like, on the red carpet. And I never quite fully made it into the ballroom, but I did. But I did sneak into the the nominee um, when they announced the nominees. The press conference where the, all the celebrities announced the nominees for that year. So I did sneak into there. I was really part of the award season that year. But again, it was about persistence. And it was like I didn't quite get what I wanted, you know. And I didn't quite get to like be on stage like at the ceremony. But I did get into the press conference, and network with some people and it would all kind of worked out how it was supposed to and it makes a great story which we all i, I live for the story basically the tenth thing i've learned is that everything happens for a reason it's something my mom always said to me i think it's always true when relationships don't work out the way you want it's for a reason what is it redirection is reject what is it Re uh, 
rejection is redirection or something. It's kind of like if you're rejected from something, that's how it's supposed to go. I really do believe that everything in our life is happening for a reason. I think that the world and how we're made up as like human beings, all of our molecules, like it's too complex to just be by chance. And I do think that there is a reason why all this is happening. And the reason might vary in in size depending on the person like my reason for being alive might not be as impactful as oprah's reason for being alive do you know what i mean um arguable no i'm just kidding um but i do think that everything in our life is happening for a reason you know and i think um and I think that everything that I've gone through over the past 12 years has happened for a reason. I think the jobs that I've not received, the relationships I have not gone as far in. And by the way, some of those reasons are ones that I haven't quite all the way figured out yet. Some of the people that are in my life now that I wish like at some point weren't, but still are, and have weathered the storm with me, that's for a reason, maybe to come. And I won't know until it's there, you know? But I think that everything really does happen for a reason. I think the people in our life are here for a reason. I think the people that aren't are here for a reason, going back to my earlier point. I think that I think that everything, you know, like I'm in this, because I think if you look at the circumstances of your life, they're all just amazing learning lessons. Like I live in this house now, and it's not as quite close to like the center of the city of, of where I was living before. And I was like, recently I've just been like, why am I here? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, I'm a little bit further from all my friends. Not a lot further, by the way, it's like, I'm complaining. But, you know, like maybe it would just be more convenient if it was a little bit closer. And there's a lesson in just, I'm here for, I'm, this is happening for a reason. Do you know what I mean? Maybe the value of this house is going to skyrocket and I'm going to become a millionaire overnight. Or maybe it's forcing me to sit with things being here a little bit more removed from everything that is going to teach me something that I'm going to be able to use for the next book I write or something. Or do you know what I mean? Like it's all, the context of our life is so rich if we like take the time to look around and and observe it. And I think it's just kind of everything that we're doing. I'm recording this podcast for a reason. Like it's all happening for a reason. And I can't wait to see what the, what comes next, really. The 11th thing, oh man, that I've learned about being in LA for 12 years is it's all about balance. My mom told me this one too. This is her quote. If she's listening, she thinks that everything's about balance, that life is all about balance. And she's right. I mean, it is, it really is like, like being consistent and in balance, I think too, like, which kind of go hand in hand, but like, like it's every day, like life is a balance, but also every day is a balance. Every day it's like, how am I going to work out today? How am I going to eat right today? How am I going to uh, do a podcast episode, um, direct my employee on what to edit, uh, write an article on Hamptons to Hollywood, write something else, that I'm, a book, I'm, uh, hang out with my friends, eat again, um, shower, like brush my teeth. Like, like everything is just about balance. And I think when you can have a healthy relationship with balance and an ebb and a flow with it, knowing that you might not get everything done and some days are gonna skew more work-centric, some days are gonna skew more fun-centric, but even that should be a balance within like the span of your week. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's just when we can learn to live in, in balance, you know, like, like, a, like a Libra, like, it's like, it's just, and sometimes it's gonna, you know, and go here, but it's like when we can learn to like, just, just level out, I think it really is kind of like the secret to life. I think it's just, you know, there's days when I'm like, how am I gonna do all this writing, 
produce all this content, you know, and and sometimes some days I don't, and some days I I do way more than I thought that I would. So it's all just about the journey. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's just all about balance, and I think that that's a really salient point, and um, and we just have to strive for balance. We just have to strive for even like everything in moderation, like just dr like drinking. Do you know what I mean? Drink within balance. I don't think it's, you know, I think uh, I'm not a big proponent of like sober October, for example, because I've learned to have balance where I don't need to, like I need to go off of it, right? Like I'm not drinking every day besides this week. <laughs> no, but I'm not drinking every day where I feel like I need to like really take a respite. I mean, unless I'm like, my health is like fucked up or something, but like, I, you know, because then I feel like once you stop drinking for 30 days, that first drink that you have, you're gonna get like the worst hangover of all time. And like, what's worse? Like going like from zero to a hundred or just kind of staying at 50, you know, or 40 or 30 or 20 or, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's all just about balance. This is gonna be the worst podcast episode of all time. Okay, the last thing I've learned, the 12th thing I've learned, the 12th thing I've learned from living in the Hamptons. No, that's not what I, that's not the, that's not the quote. <laughs> What's this episode called? The 12th thing I've learned from moving from the Hamptons to Hollywood 12 years ago is I think I discovered my purpose. And I actually think I discovered my purpose on this very podcast in the episode um, that I did with Alyssa Jeanette on alcoholism, part two. We did two parts and the second part, I discovered my purpose, finally. No, but I think it's about, I think it's really about sharing information like I'm really I'm really obsessed with the idea of my legacy because I'm in turn like obsessed with like the 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 what comes after life do you know what I mean like what happens when we die and like will I be there's so many people that obviously are no longer with us and like will I live on and I think that I want to I have this like extreme passion for living as robust a life as possible, which is why I'm really ambitious. Like I talked about why I have all these different verticals that I want to go into with Hamptons to Hollywood and, and turning my books into movies and writing screenplays and all this stuff. And, and I think that I want to do all of those things because I want to spread information. And when I spread information, I think I have a lasting impact on people's lives if the information is good, which I hope that it is. And if I spread that information onto other people's lives, then they'll remember it. And they'll remember it through whichever way it was disseminated, whether it was by learning about sex work through my book, Confessions of a Cowboy, available now on amazon.com. <laughs> And Barnes and Noble. Um, whether it was reading an article on Hamptons to Hollywood about motherhood that, you know, was really informative and interesting, then they're going to be reading Hamptons to Hollywood and, and they'll take that with them. And, and so I think in all these different ways, through the podcast where I'm interviewing experts and talking about my own experiences to, you know, hopefully make people feel not as alone I'm sharing information, you know? So I think that my purpose is to share information. I think it's to be someone who, who, yeah, who just shares and creates, just creates, is a creator of content. I mean, I know that sounds, and I don't mean like a content creator, but like kind of, do you know what I mean? I wanna be someone who is impacting other people's lives. And I think my purpose is to do that through these different mediums, books, podcasts, hopefully films one day, you know, screenplay, whatever, you know? And so, um, Hamptons to Hollywood, 
so I think my purpose is that. I think my purpose is, is trying to just spread information. I love when people come to me and say, like, where's the best restaurant to go to in the Hamptons? Or where, that's why I started Hamptons to Hollywood. Well, that's the reason what, what Hamptons to Hollywood, you know, turned into. You know, where should I get, you know, my back waxed in LA? I don't know, like just the random things. Like, but I love being able to be a resource and and give a perspective on as to why I think that restaurant is good or that salon is the best. Um, so I really do think I discovered my purpose and that's it, being um, a creator and sharer of information and stories. So maybe it's that I'm a storyteller. I don't know. It's a, an informative an information disseminating storyteller. Maybe that's my purpose, but I do feel like I, have tapped into it and will continue to do so. So those are my 12 things that I've learned in 12 years. I want to thank you if you have gotten to the end of this podcast, because I feel like it's just been one giant rant and ramble. Um, but I hope it helped. And thank you for listening, as always. And what would be really amazing is if you could leave a comment um, and rate this podcast five stars if you feel like it entertained you or provided some information. Please, please do that because it really helps with the algorithms and it helps me, it helps the podcast out. And that is, in that is something that I've been dedicating myself to over the past few months and weeks. So please um, rate and review. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. And I will... See you next week.